1: Weird news. Fresh views. Helpful clues and interviews.
2: By
3: students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
0: The question is, is a career in medicine
1: financially sound for those taking on significant debt? I read this story. in The next generation of physicians that's coming up like in our class and those that surround us seems to view medicine less from this perspective of martyrdom. Like we She used said to she
4: could tell the difference between students that were cutthroat and competing versus students who were there to learn. And there's a little bit of, okay, how am I going to handle when this happens? I'll Welcome
0: back of- to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver- College of Medicine, I'm Dave Etler. With me today for an honest look at medical school in the SCP studio, like a surgeon, it's M2, Maddie Fitzhugh. Hey. She's not bad medicine. It's M2, Tracy Chen. Hey, everyone. He's like a spoonful of sugar. It's M2, Chiraya Shukla. Hello. Chirayu Shukla, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And he'll bring you back to life. It's M1 MSTP student Levi Doyle. Howdy. Levi. Yes. I want to welcome you to the show. Your first show. Correct. I don't know if you heard, but last week's co-host talked you up big time.
1: <laughs> I know. I have a lot to live up to. I don't I, know. I'm not
0: know. <laughs> I, we have not met before, at least not officially. Yeah. And so I was like, ooh. <laughs> 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 but I thought I would embarrass you. Oh, no. Okay. We're going to... We're gonna take a look at what they said about
5: you. Somebody who did a lot of heavy lifting on the project is Levi, and he's actually coming on the podcast next week. Yeah, we love Levi. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you guys know him. him. Yes, (laughs) we love. He's he's such a sweetheart. He did a ton of amazing work on that project. It was really good. So he was he was in my lab. Yeah, Yeah, he was in my lab the first summer. I guess the summer before you guys started med school. And I cannot sing his praises. No. I know he's so, so great. He's, he's so genuine. I can't wait
0: to meet him. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually oh, really stoked that he's him. on the show. Yeah, he's
5: yes. so cute. He's a good egg. Yeah, yeah. no, he's, he's a genuinely like Levi's. Good guy. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Fans. This is actually a Levi fan club podcast yeah. now. So I was gonna say, <laughs> exactly. can we cut this and send it to him
6: personally? <laughs> the can we, the label changes to Levi Doyle podcast. <laughs>
5: <actually>. <laughs> we'll call
0: ourselves Doilies.
3: <laughs> oh, cute! So, oh, that's awesome. <laughs>
0: You should send him this episode I was going to say sorry to Levi are embarrassing
3: we'll do you Do it yeah. <laughs>
0: myself like, yeah that's a clip from our last show I could have sent it to you privately But you decided but not to But I did what's
1: more fun than embarrassing people live everything is content you know you gotta use what you got you know that's true you know what's funny is that for the longest time a lot of my social media handles were some form of like doily i figured you know like after i made that joke and was very proud of myself i was like
0: "Mm, he's heard that it's very low-hanging fruit it's like how can Uh, you not that's exactly right
1: but i like it as a as a handle for your fan club yes
0: as a name for your fan club i think it's a good idea
1: yeah. well that was very sweet yeah uh, everybody was so sweet so nice i love i love aline i love hannah i love try you obviously <laughs> <laughs> we can make just like a a collective love fan club i don't know <laughs>
6: yeah and levi's is already trademarked so it has to be double. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go
1: uh welcome to the show where are you from where do you hail so I, my villain origin story yeah. actually uh, originates in the Southwest. So I'm originally from uh, kind of a, a small community near the U.S. Mexico border.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I can. Your accent is really pronounced.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Not at all. <laughs> How about that? Oh, let's just look. We're like, ah. Yeah.
0: So
1: I've been told, definitely. Did you go to school near the border somewhere or did you go to school here? Down at the border. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. So I'm originally from kind of this small community near El Paso, Texas. Uh-huh. And then for undergrad, I moved up to Albuquerque and studied at the University of New Mexico. And then naturally, the next step is obviously Iowa. I mean, right. It's,
0: everybody comes here eventually. They don't, don't know they? it. They don't know it yet. I always like to say that I came out here to with my wife to do her clinical fellowship year in 2000. And somehow now I have native Iowa children.
1: And that's pretty weird to contemplate.
0: I don't know. I don't even know how that happened.
1: Yeah, it's like it's funny. I saw something on Instagram this morning. Somebody posted a video. They were like, I accidentally missed my flight to Brazil in 2004. And now I live in... In Brazil with my three Brazilian children. Precisely. Precisely <laughs> it's what It's so happened. crazy. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. Appreciate you. You joining us? Yeah,
0: excited to be here. And, you know, best thing to talk about on somebody's first show is how important money is to a medical students. And I want to talk about the, the medical education financial landscape in 2022. A lot has changed, or a few things have changed anyway, since COVID. Because in addition to COVID, which changed things... We also had the so-called we've also had the so-called great resignation and all of these things have both of these things have sort of worked together to change the compensation landscape for physicians along with the kinds of employment that doctors occupy. So for example, some as far as compensation goes, some primary care specialties saw an increase in compensation and others saw a decrease. And you know like is not, specialty choices are made to some extent based on compensation. It'd be nice if it wasn't the case, but we live in the real world. And it's become more common for practices to offer physicians other kinds of compensation, like crazy job sharing, or you know flexible hours, or weird stuff that doctors aren't really used to to considering. But also locum tenens, in which physicians temporarily fill in to cover another physician's absence or a shortage of available doctors, was a bigger feature of the employment picture in during the pandemic. And, and locum work can be quite lucrative. Is this on your radar at all? Or are you just so far in the in the pre-med, tra- or the uh, pre-clinical trenches that you're not there yet.
2: I don't think about the future. It just stresses me out. I It's best. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta take it one day at a time. I'm gonna otherwise. force you to think about the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, to. I saw one. this and my heart rate went up like 10.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the question is, is a career in medicine financially sound for those taking on significant debt? I read this story in Medscape this week. I don't know if you guys caught this. about. No, it wasn't Medscape. It was insider.com. Yeah. And it was featuring a student with $450,000 in debt, which, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's kind of a lot. Living in New York City, depending on her student loans for a lot of living expenses and leaving medical school with $450,000 in debt and also a lot of the deferments or a lot of the, what do they call it? The, The pauses on paying back student loans are set to expire soon. And so this was an article about, you know, how daunting a prospect that is especially when your payments begin pretty much the moment you graduate and you have essentially a month where you cannot pay because you have no your job hasn't started yet so
1: it is like a very scary thing to think about that like so many very subtle choices that you make throughout your training because of compound interest can really equate to like thousands and thousands of dollars in the long run that you have to pay back. Yeah. Like, yeah. L- yeah like, you know, if you get a new computer, oh, like big deal and it's dropping the bucket for your
0: $250,000 expected financial aid picture. But then, you know, through comp, as you say, through compound interest, you know, you're kind of paying a lot more for that laptop than you might otherwise. Yeah. There's a, you know, a continuing increase in student debt burden while reimbursement and pay rates across the board for, sp- for many specialties are Are declining or at least changing. Primary care and psych have gotten a significant pay raise, for instance, while surgical specialties and radiologies have gotten significant pay cuts, which I found to be kind of interesting. And part of this is because of Medicare and Medicaid services, which has changed the has changed reimbursement for primary care and is cutting specialty reimbursement in 2020, and. I'm wondering, I mean, I, I'm wondering if this will pr- persuade more students to go into primary care. I mean, I, mean, I
5: would I would hope so, because, like, it's kind of a big problem here that we don't have enough primary care physicians. So.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It's interesting looking at this table, right? Because you have some primary care specialties that are definitely seeing a big increase, like internal medicine, right? And others, like family practitioners, are essentially stagnant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what does that really say? Like, what, what, what change is occurring where, you know, an internal medicine specialist who's, you know, primarily based in a hospital setting is being incentivized rather than these more rural family practitioners, which we are in so desperate need of?
0: Yeah, you could argue that there's actually been a, with inflation there's been a decline for some of these specialties like family medicine, which, you know, the the number is pretty much the same, but that certainly hasn't kept up with inflation right now. I'm puzzled by obstetrics and gynecology, which went in 20, 2019. This, so this is based on a survey by Pinnacle Health Group. 2021 survey, so not even 2022, where in 2019 to 2020, they were making $237,000 on average, the people who responded to this survey. And in 2022... In t- in 2020, 2021, they were making six hundred thousand. I want to know what happened there, but I couldn't find information on how the average compensation jumped that far. Any? Can you think of anything?
6: When looking at the ends, n equals one hundred fifty-five positions plus one hundred sixty-six healthcare organizations. Maybe like one or two of those just like have really absurdly high, just kind of skewing it up a little bit more,
1: but yeah I could totally tell. see that yeah, I'm also not sure you know people probably self-identify when they fill out these surveys, so I'm wondering, you know what exactly they mean necessarily when they're identifying themselves as no you know I'm or even G y n right or even what compensation
0: is because you know so mm. I think of compensation as my take home pay, but the truth of the matter is I get benefits and things like that, which adds a significant chunk to to that number so.
5: Yeah, I mean there's also so It all
0: depends on how you ask the question.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of subspecialties within OB gyne like REI, like reproductive endocrinology mm-hmm. and like gynonc which are the pay differences between those specialties and just a general gynecologist are pretty vast as well. So yeah.
0: So be careful when you when you look at these numbers and make your plans based on it. It's the devil's <laughs> the devil's in the details, I
1: guess. <laughs> yeah and i'm also wondering i don't know if it says anywhere and i'm missing it but are the people who were surveyed in 2019 2020 the same physicians who are responding in 2021 2022 like maybe you're just yeah. by chance hitting a different cross-section and maybe you're hitting you know more specialized physicians in OBGYN, for instance who might be taking home a higher pay in 2022. Mm-hmm. so i know zip about research except what I remember from my
0: methods class, which is next to ZIP. But I know that there are ways to to make sure that you're surveying the right amount of people and control for for different measures uh, or for different uh, confounding variables and things like that. Hopefully hopefully something like this actually did that.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, I wonder if they were all in like, the same like, area too. Because mm. I feel like if you're in California, you're going to be getting paid more probably just cuz the cost of living is so much higher than if you were I don't, in
1: Iowa I guess but yeah that's a great point i guess yeah. it really does partially depend on like the yeah the integrity and the methods of whoever was conducting yeah. the survey
6: right and here it says it covered 40 specialty specialties but only had enough data for 28 specialties so like probably a little bit skewed in there.
0: Physicians are, of course, especially during COVID, we're expected to work more, probably leading to greater burnout and uh, physicians leaving medicine throughout COVID. Is is this something that worries you about medicine as uh, med students, this whole idea of of burnout and overwork?
6: Yes, Yes. <laughs> for sure. I think because we're still not in rotations yet, we haven't really seen how Now, could really be. We've just heard about it and now it's kind of like a looming cloud over our futures. But perhaps once we're in rotations, then we'll truly like experience and be like, oh, this is really bad. Or maybe, maybe it's not as bad as, but I think it could be bad.
5: Yeah. Back to your earlier question, Dave, about like if we kind of go about choosing a specialty based on the compensation, I feel like something I think about a lot more is the potential burnout of that specialty.
0: The lifestyle. I
5: think that worries me a lot. I've worked with a lot of. Physicians in my pre med days, you know, to get here, you kind of have to like, yeah, you know, do do the things. You do have to do. You should <laughs> do the things, by the way. So yeah, I scribed for a lot of different physicians, and I actually had one in gynonc actually, and he was graduating his fellowship in like a couple months, and he spent like a good week trying to convince me to not become a doctor because he was so jaded oh, wow. <laughs> from it and just so burnt out. What and, specialty like, again? It was gynonc. Okay. so yeah, gynecologic oncology.
0: And because of of the hours, what was the,
5: yeah, the hours. And then I think also just, you know, you're working with a patient population that is, you know, very sick and that can be really emotionally draining as well. So I think ever since talking to him and just some other ER physicians who were also super burnt out, it's something I've thought about a lot is that fear, I guess.
0: The, The question of, of how, you know, How much am I going to have to give of myself to, you know, work in this specialty, work in this in this environment, work in this field? You know, I think it's common for people to think, well, I shouldn't think about that, you know, because I'm I'm here to serve. I don't think that's especially real. It's a a nice ideal, I guess, if you don't care about yourself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's something I think about daily is I don't want. I don't want my life or like even like most of my career to be defined by the fact that I'm just a doctor or like in medical school there's enough things that I want to do outside of medicine I think that also make me happy and I feel like if I lost that I would also lose that part of myself and then I would just cause me to like burn out even more and you know.
0: I think the messages you get about this are a little subtle though or, or they fly under the radar a little bit for you you know like The white coat ceremony is a a decent institution, you know, like they want to the the whole idea is to make sure that you understand the gravity of your position as you help patients, you know, like and and how important it is for you to be a a humanist and all that kind of stuff. But there is also in in, inherent in that ceremony is this like you're joining the, the fraternity of medicine that you will serve. And you will protect and you will be, you know, just selfless in your pursuit of medicine.
1: Yeah, there definitely has, well, I should say, I've definitely picked up on what I perceive to be kind of a toxic culture of martyrdom that really surrounds a lot of medicine when we have these conversations. Like, I think that one example that really sticks out in my head is when in our ethics class we had a discussion about physicians duty to care and duty to provide care during a pandemic. Right. And, you know, what does that actually mean when we sit down and we define, you know, duty to care and we define, you know, what that actually means to each individual person. And, you know, I, I, I think that maybe the next generation of physicians that's coming up like in our class and those that surround us seems to view medicine less from this perspective of martyrdom like we need to sacrifice ourselves and everything that we are for the broader like profession right and i think that maybe that will change kind of these discussions that we have going forward but it's it's hard it's hard to talk about because i don't i haven't heard necessarily any like silver bullet ideas for fixing things like burnout right when well um, just meditation
3: Obviously. <laughs> Always. Meditation. Just Med- breathe. Meditate.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just relax. Do some yoga, man. Yeah. Jeez. A free meditation app through the medical school. Yeah.
5: <laughs> it, hey, it actually is pretty good. I downloaded <laughs> and started using it. They actually have workouts too. Oh wait, Which really? I thought was really cool. Yeah.
1: Okay, I retract. pretty good. Guys. I guess the other question
0: is, you know, has the burden of all this debt? So, so we know that compensation has changed. We know that debt is a problem. You know, I think it's pretty clear that the. That the uh, student debt that, that people graduate with, the thought of that increases the barrier of entry f- into medicine for students who are from lower SES backgrounds. Poor Poorer students have to work to support themselves and their families. They may not have as much time to volunteer or do research or take the opportunity costs of delayed income for you know, a decade and, you know, 30% of students don't have debt on graduation. So oftentimes those are the wealth, wealthier students with more financial support. And then it's, it's just becoming, you know, with, with, with inflation right now, it's becoming increasingly difficult to afford a qual a good quality of life on student loans without, without financial support, without outside financial support, unless you want to really take in all them student loans. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it can even be difficult. Like, I know I've talked to other students in the MSTP. We don't technically take on debt, right, throughout medical school, but we do live on, like, a stipend. And when you enter into the program, you kind of commit to one stipend level that doesn't really change throughout eight years in the program. And so in times like now, when we're seeing, like, 8% increases in inflation, you're just kind of like, I wish I, like, not that I want to take on debt, but almost like I wish, you know, you could take more more out or something you know or i wish there
0: was time to have a a job or something you know like yeah I exactly mean, people, people do work in med school i think it's not often talked about we did a show on we did a show about it a little while back i mean people do work but man you got to have the right you got to have the right situation to to make that to make that happen
2: i think the saddest part about all of this is how many people just don't come to medical school because of it yeah like back in college, I. I knew so many people who started out pre-med and then that number just kept dwindling lower and lower because they were like, oh, I can't afford going to med school. Yeah. How much and, is
0: lost? How much yeah. is lost by the, for those people who could be valuable in medicine?
2: Right. And when you have problems like physician shortages, we also just don't have as many potential students coming in because of just the amount of costs. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of the devil is in kind of the hidden cost, right? Like the
1: non-line item costs that you don't actually think about, especially when it comes to like the barriers to getting in. It's like trying to account for, you know, test preparation materials, mm-hmm. right? For the MCAT so that you can mm-hmm. get a good enough score to even be considered by medical schools, right? Or, you know, to have all of the resources to get stellar grades throughout all of undergrad. Like I think that institutionally weeds out people from these low SES backgrounds. Like
2: even the cost to like apply. Like you send out it's right. like in your primary, it's I think fifteen or like fifty dollars per school. And then in your secondary it's like hundred and twenty or higher per application that you're sending out. So when you like if you want to get into med school, obviously like a lot of people apply to a lot, but you're spending thousands of dollars just to apply on a low chance you're gonna get in. And then well that's just it, a lot of money when you put it that way. <laughs>
4: I'm not sure if how much I'm allowed to... But I know this is kind of your guys' section here, but I'm like too... Well, we over haven't
0: introduced yet. you yet, Daniel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi. Hello.
4: This is Daniel Haas. We're going to hear from
0: Daniel and 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 Diraj later in the, in the show. But heck, you know what? You know what, Daniel? Go ahead.
4: Yeah, sorry. The only reason I could come back to do undergraduate stuff again... I graduated a long time ago with my first undergraduate, and I had to finish my pre-med stuff. And the only reason I could afford to pay for this was because i just got back from a military deployment like literally if i would not have had that deployment i would not have been able to go back to school full time and i that's why it's one of those things i take it extremely seriously when you know i hang out with diraj or their peers at their age group in undergrad that for, for example go out to eat or something and i feel obligated like you guys have other things to spend money on than this lunch because i know how expensive it is and i was lucky to come back with a giant sum of money one for my deployment and two i have governmental assistance, right, at my GI Bill and stuff. But if I wouldn't have had those resources, my chances of getting to medical school would have been zero. It would it would have been absolutely impossible unless I would have jumped into this sinking pool of debt. And so I'm very fortunate in that aspect. And I think about that all the time. You know, I'm lucky. I'm very, very fortunate to be able to be the position I am, to be successful and to pay for, just like you guys said, and all the coursework for MCAT prep and all that kind of stuff. And I barely had to work because of it. But there are people that work 30 hours a week and expected to get a 4.0 GPA and expected to pay $2,000 for MCAT prep and expected to do all this. And to me, I just, it's hard for me to fathom actually that without the resources I had that I'd be this this successful.
0: The mean debt for uh, medical school graduates, according to the AAMC in the class of 2021 was 203,000 for the 70% of graduates that have debt when they, when they graduate. So
2: is um, that just through medical school or like their whole academic career?
0: I think that's probably, I think that's total debt.
2: Total debt.
3: Okay.
0: 19% of the graduates owed more than $300,000. So, I mean, you know, and and on the other hand, you could think, okay, well, okay, like when I graduate, I'm going to be a resident and I'll make, let's say $60,000 a year. And then in another four years, three years, whatever, I'll make, you know, now I'll finally have that attendings salary. But again, compound interest is an important factor here. And That's kind of a long time to to be making not a lot of not a lot of money, and maybe you'll yeah. I mean, I think chances are okay that you'll claw your way out eventually. But life is unpredictable, and if you're like me and you're old, and you've realized that, you know, like you've realized that you know shit happens and. You know, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you have a surprise illness that takes you out of action. Maybe you, maybe you make a bad decision financially at some point and you lose money on it. You know, like these things can, these ca- things can happen. They can, they can really mess with that plan.
6: It's really scary. I have a lot of like upper class. like, Yeah, oh, you can totally like buy this new monitor, new computer. It's just like a drop. As you said, like this drop in the bucket. Right. You'll like make it back in the future. And it's like, do I really though? It's like, it's not guaranteed that like. Perhaps maybe you won't be able to get into a residency if especially if you're going into like a career or a specialty that's very limited in spots. Yeah, I wasn't gonna outside. I wasn't
0: gonna bring it up, but now that you yeah. <laughs> now that you bring it up, there is a chance that you know after medical school you don't match into the residency that that you that you want. And so now what? It's not the end of the road, you know, for, for you. You can you go through the match again. But it's another year, because the match only happens once a year. It's another year where you're not making money to pay off that student loan. So there there's there's risks to all this that I think definitely prevents people you know if they if they have even the slightest awareness of those risks <laughs> definitely has to cause people to think for a second.
1: Yeah, it really is less of a drop in the bucket, right? As more like a snowball <laughs> yeah. and the subsequent avalanche right? like if you just let that ball keep rolling like it can be dangerous okay well i i can tell my co-hosts
0: and friends that that was a really wonderful conversation for you to take part in that you are now so happy to have joined me on today's show <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna blame producer aj for this topic
3: and for the fact that your weekend
0: is ruined (laughs) we do have to visit speaking of money we do have to visit the financial aid office to hear about our sponsor for this episode panacea financial the national bank for doctors by doctors so here's a scenario to consider you are an m4 you've got student debt up to, your, up to your eyeballs, up the wazoo, as they say. The good news is you have a job with an actual salary coming up. The bad news is it starts in a month and a half, and by then your loan payments will have begun, and you have to move across the country to San Diego, a city with one of the highest costs of living known to man. Where are you going to get that money for your move, Tracy?
6: Oh, my immediate reaction was, oh, I'm going to cry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, cry,
0: cry. There's always credit cards to, to, to fund that move. You could sell plasma. Uh, that's an option money laundering
3: money laundering
6: i do have an extra kidney Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. everybody's born with most people are born with more than more than they need yeah i don't know some of those don't sound like great options yeah i don't know how about this at panacea financial they get this because they've lived it this bank is founded by two med physicians They are dedicated to providing solutions for the unique needs of doctors and doctors in training, including their PRN personal loan. Do you have a good way to cover the cost of moving for residency or pay for the unexpected life costs that we've discussed? Do you want to avoid credit cards or refinance existing and expensive credit card debt? Then you should check out their PRN personal loan as a way to help. It has up to $15,000 in funding for medical students, a period of no or low affordable payments, no co-signer requirement, and even if you don't need any of Panacea's medical student loans, you can refer a friend, and Panacea Financial will pay up to $250 for each referral. There is no limit to how many people you can refer. So, hey, that's a, that's an occupation right there, right? You don't need to sell plasma. Just send a bunch of people to Panacea Financial. So join the growing number of medical students nationwide that expect more from their bank, and have switched to Panacea Financial. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn how a bank for doctors by doctors can help you. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show, and the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to theshortcoats at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. Someday, unless we destroy the planet so badly that there aren't any more insects. I, you know what? I am... I am... This is a downer. Yeah, kind
3: of. <laughs> this is a downer <laughs> of an episode.
0: <laughs> but look, the good news is insects will be our food when the when the planet collapses. You know, insects will be our food. Uh, you know, maybe they'll be our overlords. And if MIT scientists have their way, cyborgs, that can detect cancer. This may sound familiar because other animals have been taught to recognize sick people like dogs, trained to detect when blood sugar drops too low or to sniff out cancer. But as any pet owner knows, dogs are expensive to train and keep, so why not turn to cheap, plentiful bugs? The idea was to put electrodes all up in a locust brain and see how their neurons respond to smells of different kinds cells the cells they chose were the cells from the human mouth three kinds cancerous and others that were cancer free the locust brains responded so differently to puffs of cell smells on their antenna that the scientists could identify just from the recordings which were cancerous and which weren't that's kind of cool
6: wild cricket flower brownies are not too bad
0: Cricket flower brownies.
6: Yes. they're A little grainy,
0: but. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no. uh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so when was... did you have a chance to explore cricket flower brownies? I've heard of cricket flower.
6: Yeah. So back in undergrad, we used to have like these, like, kind of like an expos where like all these vendors would come and be like, they give you goodie bags. And like, there was one where, like all about the environmental unfriendly um, list and was like, hey, you guys want to try like this cricket flower brownie, cricket flower cookies? And, you know, it's free and it sounded interesting. I don't really like bugs, but. I'm down to eat them, so.
3: You're down to eat
6: them. <laughs> yeah, like I have a. In, in a ground
0: up form that you can't.
6: Yes, I can't. If I can't see the head or the legs, I'm okay with that's it.
0: That's how I. I mean, that's how I prefer to look at all of my food. Without, I, I don't. I don't really like to know, much about where it came from.
5: Do you think if they didn't tell you that it was cricket flour that you would have like known? I don't think I would have known. Oh, that's so interesting.
6: If you disguise it enough, I think you'd totally not tell.
1: I can sense a taste test coming. <laughs> oh, yes. oh. That's cool. I imagine it would have like a dusty flavor in my mind. Like,
3: you <laughs> uh, <don't> know, like, <laughs> it like dry dusty dry moth
1: dust, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like on the, that's just in my mind. I'm like, ah, grainy, dusty. Mm, not necessarily. Mm. You say brownies. Yeah. Not necessarily cookies, like yeah. the the most appetizing Flavor to accompany brownies, but hey, I think the chocolate, chocolate covers up yeah. a, a multitude of sins. Probably, this is true. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> have you guys heard of? Sorry, this is off topic. Please, you can cut this later if you want. No, 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 but, no. We, no. we, we, we do off topic. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys heard of kernza? No, it's, that? Okay. that sounds familiar. You might, you might have heard of it. So it's a grain. It's like supposed to be this new grain that is being genetically engineered to be like climate change resistant and mm-hmm. so it's super interesting because it seems like a waste of time i know we're all gonna be dead <laughs> <It's anyway>. fine, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. but it's like it's, it's it's supposed to be exactly like wheat flour except it's perennial as opposed to annual okay so like it reseeds itself every year and it grows in the exact same place so you don't have to like retill the soil anything like that and it like Apparently grows like really, really hardy roots so it can like withstand like all of these like crazy serious weather events. But anyway, I digress. They're like developing this really cool grain and they're starting to like try and market it as like the next big solution to like global climate change food shortages.
0: Has anybody asked how the bugs feel about this?
3: Because
0: (laughs) the bugs feel about not being ground up into... Into dusty, dusty
1: flowers. <laughs> That's some competition for you, I mean, at the very yeah. least.
3: It's
1: kind of rude.
6: Could be a new food source for them as well.
1: Mm-hmm. There you go.
0: Kind of rude. Yeah, the, the paper, the work hasn't been peer-reviewed yet. It isn't known how scalable such a use of bug brains would be for cancer screening, since in its current form, it's kind of a one-and-done deal for the bug. Um, <laughs> seems like kind of a lot of work to implant some electrodes to a bug that you're just gonna have to throw out, but I mean, bury
1: with respect, respectfully, <laughs> respectfully inter uh, when you're done. But see, and this just goes. I think this just speaks to how naive I am to this type of research because I'm like, I'm not a neuroscience person. Neuroscience was my least favorite of all of our blocks. I hated it. But I'm like, I read this article and I'm like, isn't there an easier way to to do this <laughs> than to like, you know, like literally. Like, where did they come up with this is is just my immediate question. I I guess that
0: somebody... Okay, so my guess is that somebody was like, you know what? Bugs are really good at smelling. I mean, lots of animals are... Dogs and all kinds of animals. Bugs are really good at smelling. Let's see if we can take advantage of that and see how far we can push this this idea. Because I feel like that's half of science, right? Like, people just being like, can we get money for this? Can we
3: get (laughs) NIH
0: funding (laughs) For uh, poking some bugs in the head and seeing if they'll tell us about cancer, or you know, just just doing something wacky. You know, they they. You've, I've been reading about mini brain. It's basically scientists growing tiny, miniature, small brains from cells, and then using them to explore various aspects of of neurology and and all that kind of stuff. Maybe maybe they just need to grow some mini brains. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they don't need the crickets or the Locusts, or whatever the heck they're
1: poking. They're crickets. You need to be politically correct. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry.
2: Trying to think of like the real world applications of locusts. You know, like in the future, you go to like an oncologist and Instead of pathology, they just bring a couple bugs. Yeah, out. they're like, you're blowing this. Yeah. There you go. The more noise they make, the more cancer you have.
6: 17 chirps per second. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. See, what's so funny
1: about this is I, I shared this article with my partner, and it probably doesn't help that I this comes on the heels of another article I sent him recently about pigeons being able to read breast cancer scans. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that, really that one. Cool. But his immediate reaction was just like, so this is where my tax dollars are going. <laughs> oh, <for laughs> is to, sure. te- is to it, like, teach pigeons and crickets how to detect cancer. <laughs> Some, yeah, so, somebody out there has a harebrained idea, maybe maybe in the
0: hot tub or whatever, in the shower, and they're like, okay. <laughs> We're going to do
1: this.
2: How can, <laughs> how, can we, how can we write this, Grant? Replacing right. mammograms with pigeons is
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> next big idea.
6: We have a use for the pigeons.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, locusts are kind of just a pain in the ass. Yeah. If we can put them to work.
3: That's true. If
0: we can get them to, you know, host their freight. This can only be a good thing. Instead of messing around with the end times. Isn't that the, the locust that you see during the end times? Yeah. I think
3: so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Such an idiot. Very uplifting.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this, this whole episode. Is just if right.
1: this is your first time listening to the Shortcut <laughs> Podcast,
0: know that we aren't always this somber, <laughs> nihilist. It's just
6: because it's cloudy outside. That's it's cloudy.
0: Dave wanted to talk about terrible, terrible things <laughs> for reasons best, best known only to, to himself. Oh. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post.
3: Thank you. You
0: You guys, I met two UIR pre-meds this week. They're good friends whose differences could lead you to think that they are an unlikely pair. Uh, Deeraj Manika is in some ways your standard 19-year-old pre-med. There's a little twist there. Though, he's already thinking about how he can help others become physicians. Maybe he's rethinking that after part one of the show. But his friend is a 30-year-old veteran U.S. Army Ranger, Captain Daniel Hawes. Daniel credits their friendship to their shared ambition of becoming physicians and to their membership in a group of like-minded people to support them throughout this trip through medical education. Welcome to the Short Code podcast, gentlemen.
7: Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, Thank you for having us, Dave.
0: I wanted you to join. So we, you know, we sat down and chatted earlier this week and I wanted you to join us because I don't know. It seems to me your differences aren't getting in the way of your friendship. I mean, you could, you know, I I highlighted those differences, but on the contrary are in some sense uh, fueling it. What are the parallels between your lives thus far that are working for you on this path?
7: I think, I think for us, it's, I think just our common shared goals with academics at this point. So I mean, we've been in a lot of the same classes, organic chemistry, microbiology, and I mean, those are are some pretty, like, tough undergrad classes, and, you know, having, like, someone to, like, rely on, and have, like, totally, like, someone, like, to give, like, totally unsolicited advice, like, to, and, like, and also receive from, like, is something, like, really special.
4: Yeah, I really credit the fact that. You know, I like I like to think now. I think you kind of said it right. I'm a, I'm an old man now, trying to go into med school, right? Like I'm the I'm the weird guy trying to start another career after You know, you're not that,
0: that right. weird, Daniel. You're not that weird. I would just want to uh, say like non traditional has become more traditional than it used to be. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt.
4: Yeah. Oh no, no. I I I tend to agree with you, but it's strange. Like if I look at you know the my peer group, right? I mean, I'm friends with 20 year olds and I'm 30. Like, in what world is that generally? common and it's not very often but I, at the end of the day I, right? I seem
0: to have i seem to spend a heck of a lot of my time with uh <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. i lives. hate to do
4: this though this is one of those things that's so true I, I get a paycheck for it <laughs> <laughs> that's a benefit you have to hang out with me yeah exactly yeah for You're the better of myself <laughs> but it's different for me because right like i said so i already i feel like i already had like a life before trying to get into medicine right and now i have this is, this is it. This is my time to do it. Because if I mess up now, I don't really have a lot of more chances to do it. And so I'm really driven to be successful in my coursework because really this, this is my last chance. And when I run into people like my cohort that we've made with myself with Dheeraj and some other friends, Jeffrey, Kareem, some other guys, they're pre-professionals. And their dedication to becoming uh, a physician or a dentist or wherever they are in the medical healthcare community that really inspires me like they want it as bad as i do right that they want this and they're smart enough at their age to know what they want and how determined they are to do that and that's something where i think it doesn't matter how old i am or the things i've done in my life that i can compare myself to them with that i want this more than anything and it's hard for me being the age i am to like do all the things that like okay i actually don't want to do this anymore to look at this, like I actually want to do this. This is the first time in my life I can tell myself this is the one thing that I know that I want to do. And I get to experience that with my peers. And I think that's what's really, really keeping us together that builds our relationship. And the entire foundation of the people, my peers, and my cohort are based on the fact that we want to be part of this community, the medical community. And uh, that really, that's what makes me want to do this that I know that I can rely on people like these guys here to make me a better physician, and that's but, really inspiring to me. And I think that's why our friendship is as strong as it is.
0: But my question to you is, like, aren't you supposed to be at each other's throats, like, like, like competing with each other for the limited number of med school slots available, and and really just like being assholes to each other, basically?
4: <laughs> well, there's no lie that he's D-Rod's probably playing asshole I mean, no. I'd like it to be, yeah, but. I wish you a happy Father's Day. Yeah, he yeah, I'm dad of the group. So, he <laughs> on Father's Day, he wished me happy Father's Day. I'm not a father, but to them I'm their
3: dad.
4: <laughs> 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 but you know, I, It's it's one of those things. So I think, again, you kind of said it. So I'm a ranger. I went to ranger school. And it's, you know, I liken that so much when I went to that versus going to try applying for medical school. Right. So here here you are. Right. To get into ranger school, you have to be the best of the best. Your commander has to say you can go. You're in the best physical shape of your life. You have to be ready to suffer. I mean, they tell you about how bad it's going to be. They literally everyone tells you the horror stories what it's going to be. And the first couple of days, you're there and you're hard, right? Like, yeah, I can do this. And all it takes is a couple of days without eating and a couple of nights without sleeping to realize you can't do anything by yourself. Like, it's the most humbling thing in my entire life. We were doing a raid in the middle of the night, and there was like this log on the ground. It was like maybe six inches thick, and I had to step over it. And I hadn't eaten or sleep, slept for days. And I was like, I couldn't even step over this log. I literally had to take my rucksack off, throw it over it and put both hands on this thing to crawl over it. So if I like in crawling over a log in the middle of the night, like I can't even do the most fundamental thing of like traversing from one location to another. How can I expect to lead troops when I'm this tired? How can I expect to do anything? How can I expect to get my ranger tab and get my go? And so you just learn very quickly that if you're not there in support of your peer, you're not gonna be successful. Because you need everyone to be successful in that area for all of you to get your go. And I just, I've just i just taken that with me everywhere I go and realized like if there, if there was one second that I didn't tell Dheeraj how to study or if I was studying by myself and I was just sitting by myself and just there, I'm like absolutely throwing away a resource to make me more successful. And probably the best part is when we succeed together. Like how good is that feeling when we all combine our resources together and our energies together and all of us got good grades on the exam. I mean, like we, we literally went and celebrated. We went and got, you know, dinner, and food i mean this one had a good time and i can't i can't imagine not wanting my peer to succeed like that is the most crazy thing i've ever experienced yeah. is someone saying that they would like hold a secret to a test or whatever and hold it to themselves because why do you want to do that by yourself what's the what's the point of becoming a physician for your own wants and needs like literally the job is to take care of others and if you can't do that to your peer the people you're literally experiencing this with then how are you going to do that for your patient
0: uh, uh, Does this uh, ring any bells for you guys as you think about how you've proceeded through uh, medical school and pre-med and all that kind of stuff?
3: I mean, well, you can go first. Uh,
2: I was going to say, like, medicine, like anything, it's a team effort. Like, you're always going to be working in teams. You're never alone. So I guess, like, yeah, there's, like, competitive, like, it's a competitive culture, but I don't think it really helps to be, like, cutthroat competitive because you want good relationships with people and you want to help each other out. And ultimately that's what's going to help you uh, treat people better and like treat other people around you better and then ultimately be a better doctor as well
3: so
5: yeah i would say my undergrad was a little more competitive just like nature of the pre-med community there so it was really nice and really refreshing when i came here to carver because Everybody was just so nice and so supportive of each other, like everyone in our class. We like share things in like a big group chat with each other and just all the resources. Yeah, we just like pool everything together. So it's been like really, really nice here.
4: That's that's so good to hear that that's the case. Like that, <laughs> Like it makes you feel better. A friend of mine, she is getting she's in a master's program, master's in physiological anatomy or something like that. And she was saying that when she was there and she was with medical students and then during their anatomy and during their cadaver lab, and she said she could tell the difference between students that were cutthroat and competing versus students who were there to learn. And she herself can know the difference between that. And for me, not in a program, not in medical school, not even in a graduate program, like that is astounding to me. And that's like, honestly, a little, there's a little bit of a cause for like, okay, how am I going to handle when this happens? Like, what kind of person am I going to be? What I deal with this kind of person? So it's it's really interesting to
2: hear that. I will say the anatomy classes here do an excellent job of just like communicating with your peers. They like, so, you know, on Thursdays or or like your second day of lab, they have like a peer teaching and learning aspect of it. So you teach the other group, like what you learned. And that really just like, I guess that just, yeah, it fosters that just culture of sharing, you know, like your knowledge with other people because it helps you learn things better, but it also helps other people as well. So.
7: Right. Right. And, and with the program, I mean,
0: this is the summer health professionals education program that you're currently participating in.
7: Yep. And we've had Dr. Hoffman, the anatomy professor, like he's been giving us like talks and, and like, you know, his emphasis on like mental health. Like, I feel like that kind of shift in like academics towards like, you know, like a higher emphasis on mental health has been really, has been really good for like, you know, especially med students, you know, where, you know, burnout's, you know, there too. And, uh, and it's, it's created, like, a more, like, collaborative and, like, enriching environment overall, so.
0: You know, I often see online in the forums and whatever the question of pre-meds of, am I good enough to go to medical school? And are your experiences together and with this group of pre-meds you hang out with and, and and pre-health people that you hang out with causing you to reframe that question at all. Yeah.
7: When I, when I met Dan and he told me about, he's, I mean, the first time he started telling me about his like experience overseas, I was like, Oh my God, I have to compete with like him, like in my cycle. And you know, it's, you know, when you first hear it, like it's discouraging, but like, again, you have to like, you know, ground yourself and bring yourself back to um, you know, who you are as a person. And like, you know, every single applicant is like unique in their own ways, and I, I know Dan can attest to this as well. Like when he looks at me, like he thinks the same thing.
4: It's I think it's hilarious because like I'll you know for me I literally came in like oh I just need to take pre med classes and I apply for med school and I'm good to go, and it's. No, it's like, no, then I have people like Dheeraj and all my other friends that are in research that are volunteering for not just medical stuff, but for Habitat for Humanity. They're in research groups. They're doing their shadowing, all these things like, oh, my God, I don't have any of those things done. It's like I, I am just a lowly, you know, military officer trying to go into medical school and they're telling me all the things they do and i remember just looking at them like oh my god i would swap you lives in a second like i wish i had all those amazing things like i don't i i remember telling him like being so upset like i have no chance if i'm competing against you there's no way that i'm going to get into medical school and like because your application's way better than mine what's what's the like why would i even do that and then just i just laugh because dear raj was like his jaw would drops like what? Well, are you kidding like what are you yeah.
7: talking about and the thing is i feel like with that like we're looking at each other in like two totally different perspectives because like dan's looking at me in like a purely like like oh you've done a lot of medically related things but like to me like i see him as like oh you've been a leader for eight plus years you've you know you've seen like real human suffering you've like you understand like what like actually goes on like in the world like i feel like you have a more like holistic view of medicine like I do because you know, you've had that experience and you know, yeah. if you anything to say to that? Yeah,
4: no, and, and so I think that at the end of it, your extremely leading question goes to the fact that you only look at yourself from the fact that you're not good enough. You never you never look at the things that you've done and realize how amazing a person that makes you. You don't get to look at yourself very well when you're on a lens of someone else and saying, look at the things that I have accomplished. And a lot of people, Mm-hmm. can just say that the thing they accomplish is not good enough and no matter what you do it doesn't matter if i think we talked about this last time dave or there are people that are deans of medicine it's like have i done enough to be a good dean of medicine am i even what's the point of me even doing this like i'm not there's imposter syndrome exists no matter what level you are i remember when i first took command of a light infantry company i was like oh my god like i hope people don't realize how dumb i actually am because there's no way <laughs> i'm expected to lead 131 <laughs> infantry men to overseas to go <laughs> fight a war it's like i don't know what i'm doing but so it doesn't matter about you know what you think about anymore because the reason right the, the reason i was selected to command is because someone else saw something in me to be successful and just like your application right there's going to be a team of people this is a missions team that they're going to look at you and they're going to see things that you don't see in yourself and they're going to say you you're good enough to be a physician welcome to medical school yeah if and that's- you get,
0: if, if you if you're successful in your application believe that because their whole job is to find people that can do this it's kind of important but also you know just you know just just believing that you have something to bring to the table that you might not have considered so when you're in the middle of imposter syndrome might be helpful to remind yourself of that
7: right and i and one thing i have to add to that is I don't know, especially in like for undergrads like you know you're you're really like you're with like a lot of your peers like a lot of the time. And the thing is, you know, there's so many things that you could possibly do as like a pre med student that, you know, if you hear about, you know, and I've been guilty of this myself. Like, if you hear about something that someone else is doing, you're like, oh, why am I not doing that mm-hmm. like, type of thing? And, you know, there's only so much stuff you can add to your plate, you know what I mean? And, you know, first semester, sophomore year, like I, I definitely experienced a little bit of burnout. I feel like, cause I mean, I was doing, I felt like I was doing so much. And just cause I felt like I had to, in a way. And, you know, I definitely paid the price for it, but you know, I mean,
0: look, yeah. what do you guys, this is what I always say on the show. Don't do stuff because you think you need to do stuff. There's not enough time in the day there. Yes. There are some things that you, you know, there are some hoops that you have to jump through, but these are not really hoops, you know, Shadowing. Everybody talks about how shadowing is a hoop. You have to jump through. Shadowing is actually incredibly important. You got to know that this career is for you. And the only way to know it when you don't have the career is to hang out in the situation you're going to be in, in in several years. So that's one hoop that you have to jump through. Obviously, you have to do the MCAT. Obviously, you have to do you know other things. But all of the other activities that you could do, don't do it because you think somebody else wants you to do it. There's just not enough time. Do something that you're passionate about. And then you can talk about that in your med school application.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, you can always be doing something. I remember like... When I was applying to medical school, and I was talking to everyone, there was, you know, you can't you can't compare yourself to what other people are doing, and you can't even really just, I you get into this habit of just doing things that look good on paper. Yeah. And all that does is just, I don't, it it makes it seem not worth it. Like it if just, you
0: if you look good on paper, just like everybody else, I can guarantee you that there is going to be somebody in the admissions committee who's like, mm, yeah, this good guy looks good on paper, but I don't see any passion there.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Like, Where's the
6: soul? Where's the yeah? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think and like in my like in my med school interview, I would say we talked about medicine for like the first ten minutes, and then the next twenty minutes, we're literally just talking about all the things I did outside of it, or things that I found enjoyable. And I think that's really what they look at is, who are you like outside of this? Do you do things that make you happy? And if if that is what you're doing, then you know you're always just gonna be satisfied, and you're gonna feel that you are good enough to be here.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so important. Right. Because like medicine, just like everything else in life, like doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. Like we all have to approach our profession, no matter what it is, with our whole selves. Right. And that's not just what you look like on paper. It's it's not selectively cherry picking the few things that you think are going to present you well to a group of people on an admissions committee. Right. It's all of your passions and, and all of your, you know, the things that you're passionate about. And that's at the end of the day, what's going to make you a good doctor because you're going to be able to relate, relate to people, right. And actually connect to them on a deeper level, not just know the physiology behind, you know, whatever's going on with their condition, which I think is super important too, obviously, but.
5: I think it's what separates like a good doctor from a great doctor is Mm -hmm. like having that, all the things you were just talking about, so.
2: It's that ability to develop rapport yeah (laughs) (laughs) keep hearing that in caps over and over again but i mean it's true you know Mm -hmm. your whole job
0: in a lot of times is to help people tell you what their lives are like what's happening to them and nobody's going to want to tell you if you're a fake you know they're not going to want to have that difficult conversation with you about their alcohol use or you know I don't know. They're they're just their personal lives unless you're a human being and that you can show that. Diraj, you've been an ambassador for the Iowa Center for Research Undergrads. What is that?
7: Yeah, so ICRES, is an organization that basically advocates for, you know, incoming first-year students to, you know, get into research either on the medical campus or on the in the biology building on the on the east side of campus. So, the the whole purpose of it is basically to offer funding to these students to kind of like in a way I wouldn't say entice them but like to you know kind of promote it because I feel like for a lot of first-year students coming in like to the University of Iowa like a lot of them don't know really know what like you know bench research is like and I mean like for us we're like our main goal is to kind of show students what research is actually like and show them like different types of research because like i mean at the university of iowa there's social science research political science research environmental research in addition to like clinical research and like a lab bench research so you know the options are pretty pretty open and we we hold like these conferences for first-year students so we get a couple of speakers a couple of like lab pis to come in and basically present their research to kind of like you know like stimulate that interest in students and i just ta'd uh a first-gen seminar for for students and uh, you know all, like all the students this that is a were seminar involved, for
0: this is a seminar for students who are first-gen college students
7: yes yeah yeah okay. and basically it was kind of like showing them the ropes of how to one like get apply to research positions like to like how to you know conduct yourself in research and and you know like that sort of thing so that kind of like i wouldn't say it spark minus but like i mean i already had the interest before but like that like you know aided me more to like, then showed me more why like mentorship was like so big for me because I came to like I mean my undergrad experience my first year of college was totally online like I I came to Iowa I was only here for two and a half weeks and then COVID cases rose and then everything was online so I went home but you know I I like owe my success to like basically my mentors and the people that like you know basically gambled and took a chance on me and kind of took me under their wing and that feeling when I you know, had a mentor was like, you know, extraordinary. And I I really wanted to like repay that back. And that's like kind of been my driving force, like through undergrad so far.
0: So, not, so my understanding is that not only are you sort of doing that on a peer-to-peer basis right now, but you're looking to, you and a couple of current M4s here and elsewhere are working on starting another mentorship organization. Tell us about Inspire to Aspire.
7: Yeah, so Inspired to Aspire is an organization started by Yanni Kronotas. and
0: it's an M four here.
7: He's an M four at the University of Iowa, and and this guy named Cena, he goes to he's an M four at UC Irvine. So they started Inspired to Aspire with the with the goal of offering pre health mentorship programs to high school students in underserved communities. And you know when when he came to me about the idea of starting it here, I. I was I jumped on the opportunity and you know because it's exactly like um, it aligned with you know the views that I had and like the you know my passions so yeah I've been working pretty hard to you know try to like get the right connections and network well to get the organization started but like so we we use two studies basically we use future authoring to as uh, like the study on future authoring and it sounds like cheesy but we get so like our plan is to go to these high schools and you know get these get for kids who are like freshmen sophomores just kind of like plant the seeds of of, like what healthcare is actually like and you know through being in shape like you know talking to some of these like students they if they had access to like even it like it seems like so like menial for like like students like like because I went to a pretty big like big high school in Peoria, Illinois and like to me like I always had like, this access to information but I didn't realize that you know not having that access like was like such a barrier and you know I feel like to overcome that barrier I feel like this program is like perfect so basically we take these like freshmen sophomores and we basically like you know, expose them to like a couple of like workshops and, and then we get them to like journal about it, just kind of like, to like talk about like how they felt their experiences. And then we, we get them to like write about like what they want to do with their futures and like see if, you know, if we can like spark that, spark that, that like drive to go into medicine basically or any healthcare field.
0: It, it sounds like you're basically trying to bridge that gap between what you don't know and what you need to know. Exactly. Because um, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And so it's hard to even consider, you know, various fields when you don't know they exist. I I mean, I, I look back at the kind of advising I got in my high school, you know, 30 zillion years ago, and it was shit. <laughs> I mean, the path given to me was was basically college. And there were no, there was no other consideration of like, you know, what what that meant or what could happen beyond that and I can see how that's even worse for for some groups of people who that may not be the path that people choose for them and so they don't know that that path exists so that seems like a like a cool idea is this effort off the ground
7: so we're just going through like the, the like the nitty gritty, like stuff like with administration and like getting the club instated and stuff like that. But like, we're planning to start like our trial runs in the fall. So we're going to like go to like the local schools in Iowa city, just like, as like a trial run. And then hopefully we'll expand like Cedar Rapids and like surrounding areas.
0: Fantastic. So. Love this idea. Yeah. That's our show. Diraj, Daniel, thank you so much for talking about your friendship and your uh, philosophy with us. Been nice having you on the show.
4: For sure. Thanks for having us. It was really fun to be here to share a story. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: And uh, Maddie, Chirayu, Tracy, Levi, thanks for being on the show with me today.
6: Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you. And what kind of Bravo Foxtrot would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Thank you to this week's producer, A.J. Chowdhury, and editors, Maddie Walline and Katie Haim Kessler. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Edler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week.